0: I wouldn't be afraid to go to your place of worship around the world.
1: They were in a place that's supposed to be safe. You
2: know, as Jews, we've been targeted for religious persecution and violence for for thousands of years.
3: Today on Context, a bloody Sunday at another place of worship. This time, terrorist attacks in several places throughout the island of Sri Lanka. Three churches, three hotels, blown up in eight simultaneous blasts, as Christians worshiped on Easter Sunday. Sri Lankan officials say a domestic Islamic terrorist group is responsible for the killings. We'll talk with a terrorism security expert on the warnings given to Sri Lankan officials ahead of time that they did not act on. And Canadian Sri Lankans in Toronto and British Columbia who knew the churches affected, join us to work through the evil loss that has changed the lives of their people forever. And we ask a multi-faith panel How will religion respond for a better world? The people of Sri Lanka are in mourning, including Canadian Sri Lankans. Lem Moses joins us now from Vancouver. Lem, your parents founded Zion Church, where one of the bombs went off. Um, What are you feeling that church was part of shaping who you are as a Canadian?
4: Yes, absolutely. Um, My parents founded that church late 70s, early 80s. Uh, My dad and mom, um, uh, they built it from the ground up and even though I couldn't live with them because of the ethnic war, I lived with my grandmother in Kandy. I used to go there uh, for my holidays and that was the church where I uh, gave my life to Jesus. Uh, That was the church where I was uh, baptized uh, with the Holy Spirit. Uh, that was a church uh, where I my faith was actually cemented, and uh, uh, a lot of wonderful experiences with the Lord. Uh, beautiful, precious memories.
3: And you can hardly believe that now um, so many children, <clears throat> so many people have lost their life.
4: Absolutely, absolutely. It's horrific. It's horrific. Um, we started getting firsthand reports through WhatsApp uh, of images that were not on Facebook yet but from people who lived in, in that area, and the images were, were, were absolutely devastating and horrific. Yeah, now, especially the children.
3: It, you, as you've been reaching back into the community and your parents, is this true? There are um, news reports all over the wire about the suicide bomber heading into the church where these children had been singing their hearts out to Jesus that the suicide bomber patted them on their heads and, and moments later he was murdered by that terrorist. Is that true? Is that what you're hearing from your contacts on the ground there?
4: Well, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure. I, I, I'm, I'm not able to verify that. Uh, but what I do know is, is that uh, he blew himself up at the entrance of the church and that was the time when the children were coming down from Sunday school. And that's why there were a lot of children uh, that were that were dead that were killed
3: and how do the families um, move next like are the funerals a community event um, the parents that are lost Is this an economically depressed area what's What do you expect is going to start unfolding now in this grief
4: well I mean, honestly I, I feel that you know i mean uh, People are still in shock, in mourning. Uh, you know, they can't believe this has happened. Um, I think it's going to take a long time for this grief to unfold. Um, I think that right now it's just it's just a sense of shock and, and disbelief. Um, yeah, especially for the parents of the children uh, who who passed on. Um, economically, yeah, Batiklo, the eastern coast, it, it is a tourist town. Um, you know, and uh, yeah, it's gonna hit them economically hard, hard as well.
3: As you reflect on this as a family deeply involved with Zion Church, what is your prayer? What is your thoughts at this time for them?
4: Well, my, my prayer is that, that they stand firm. Uh, <clears throat> stand firm in the faith.
3: Will they be able to love their neighbors? I know Little Arab is just a short distance from Zion Church. Will they be able to love their Muslim neighbors?
4: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, if the Zion Church I know that I grew up, I mean that I went to when I was a very, very young boy, if that is the same church and the same culture and the same uh, idea uh, of, of love. Yeah, they would demonstrate the love of Jesus in, in, in unaboundable, in unimaginable ways. And uh, yeah, they would reach out to their Muslim neighbors.
3: Lem, I am so glad that Zion Church's faith was planted in you and you're sharing it there in your church in Richmond, Pentecostal, there in British Columbia sharing it here. You've brought us so much of the Holy Spirit and love that is needed into this crisis. Thank you, Lem, we're gonna continue to pray for the people
4: of Sri Lanka. Amen, thank you, appreciate that.
2: Vincent Sahaya Nathan is pastor at Harvest Missionary Church in Toronto. One of the eight sites attacked in Sri Lanka holds enormous significance for him. We'll get into that in a moment. Vincent, how is your Sri Lankan congregation here uh, responding to this?
5: It is very shocking, sad, because uh, we are involved every day with Sri Lanka, our mission work, with our people, praying for our people, every Sunday we pray, every week we pray for Sri Lanka, and our heart for Sri Lanka people to be get saved and to Know the Lord's salvation.
2: You talk about closeness, uh, prayer. Uh, you have closest, close ties to one of the eight sites that were attacked, Zion Church yeah. in Sri Lanka. You know the pastor personally. You even preached there as well. Yes. Uh, how much real does that personal tie make this tragedy for you? And can you tell us a little bit about the church of Zion when you when you visited?
5: Yeah, so I'm very close to the church, plus uh, our people, I mean, our, uh, one of our directors, um, he worked for us since 2000 for our mission work in Sri Lanka. And since 2000, I know they whole family. And uh, they member of that church. And a beautiful 13-year-old boy, even last week, uh, last month when I went there, he was sitting in front of me when I was having lunch with him. And his mother, the one took care about all of our... Uh, the pastors' meetings, uh, um, uh, the dinners and lunch are responsibility. So that means they are so dearly close to me. And this 13 years old boy was burned in that attack. It so is I'm, very tragic and sad. But one thing we had to know here's the time that we need to teach them how to overcome this pain and prevail this pain and to become a people of God to love one another. So... This church is a church of witness to the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. The pastor is so friendly to everyone. The church, is, the church doesn't have any hated people. Everybody loves the church because this is right in the center of town where the, all the community, they are loud church speakers and sound and worship and music and nobody go against them. Everybody loves them. Yeah. So to everybody, it is very painful, but the main thing is they are they're going to be so more love to the people.
2: Pastor Vincent Sahaya Nathan, thank you so much for joining us. We'll have much more for you uh, in the show. Thank you.
3: Sri Lanka has a history of violent attacks against minority Christians, and here to talk from that perspective is Theesan Nanda Kumar of the Tamil Guardian in London, England. Uh, sir, a curfew has been implemented through Sri Lanka. A militia to oversee the country. What is the mood like right now?
6: I think there's still um, a mood of shock and everyone is horrified by the tragedy that's taking place. But now, given the latest developments, given the fact that there's emergency law, the military's out on the streets, there's still a lot of fear and apprehension about what could come next.
3: Okay, Fiansen, there were over 65 reports of attacks on Christians last year. You've written about this, you've said that religious persecution is not a new phenomena but that the attacks as of late have been
6: unprecedented. Why the upsurge? So attacks against Christians, uh, like uh, I said, are not new to the island. However these attacks are different in the sense that Muslims are claiming them uh, or they're being attributed to to Islamists. Uh, to be behind these attacks. We don't know who exactly is behind it yet. But we do know that there's been kind of underlying ethnic tensions on the island for decades now. And Christians have bore the brunt of that as well. Churches have been bombed during the armed conflict regularly at some points. And what we found is there has been a wave of increasing religious tensions between the singular Buddhist majority, Muslims, and also against Christians on the island as well. And will this make it much
3: worse, those tensions, I can only imagine?
6: Yeah, I think that's that's one of our worries and one of the fears, that this attack will now expose some of those very deep fault lines on the island between the different ethnic groups and the different religious groups as well. Um, and I think we're going to have to be really careful uh, to see how the government and the security forces act over the next few days and weeks uh, to make sure that some of those Uh, cycles of violence that we've seen in the past don't re-emerge. And
3: um, what are we to make of the news that there was not enough security action to advance warning given?
6: Well, Sri Lanka is a highly militarized state. In terms of the number of troops, it's actually bigger than even the British Army. So it's massive. Um, in some parts of the north and east, in the Tamil areas, you find as many as two uh, a soldier for every two civilians there. So it's a very militarized state. They've got a very vast intelligence network that runs very deep as well. So for something like this, which was very highly coordinated, very well organized and very well planned and executed, It must have required a very high level uh, and high degree of planning to have taken place. So for the security forces to miss a plot so big, especially when there's uh, now reports that the authorities were warned beforehand, it raises a lot of questions about what Sri Lankan authorities were doing.
3: Okay. And do you think this was in retaliation to New Zealand?
6: That's certainly what some of the um, some reports are suggesting. I think the Sri Lankan's Prime Minister also suggested that as well. I think in general, people ha- have commented, uh, experts have commented that th- uh, an attack of this scale requires several months of planning. So possibly, you know, even before the New Zealand attacks would have taken place, whether these specific targets were chosen because of the New Zealand attacks, we cannot be sure. However, I think, you know, there's serious questions to ask about the motives, and I don't know if we can speculate on them just yet, or even really say who exactly was behind this attack just yet.
3: All right. Well, Nandu Kumar, editor of the Tamil Guardian, thank you for joining us from London, England. Thank you for having me. Well, to help us make sense of the evil we saw in Sri Lanka, we're joined now by John Robson. He's a historian and a columnist for the National Post. And John, you want us to grapple with the idea that the terrorists are morally insane. Explain what you mean.
7: When people carry out acts of violence, and I like being brought on as an expert on evil. (laughs) How did I acquire that? we frequently describe acts like the bombing of churches or the Holocaust as insane. And when people talk that way, I think it's important to draw a distinction between the kind of insanity that makes a person unable to function in the world, unable to formulate a plan and carry it out, and the kind of insanity that affects the soul rather than the brain, so that it, people can devise objectives, think of ways of Getting to those objectives and get there successfully. What I think the point
3: you're getting us to think about here is uh, there really are choices and systems in our thought patterns and in systems of thought that are evil. This is not there's there's a, a, a wrong wrong I would say from my faith background. There's a bad devil and there's a good God, and we've got to call
7: it, don't we? I think absolutely we do. Jay Budgechowski talks about this in, The Revenge of Conscience in his other books, where he says, we tend in the modern world to think of conscience as a feeling, that we sort of feel bad when we do something evil. But he said, no, primarily it's a matter of knowledge. We know that it is wrong. And in some sense, what evil is, is an embrace of something that we know to be wrong.
3: Let's talk a bit more about evil and the media's responsibility on evil. Because we see lots of ambulance chasing, but what is the role of the media when it comes to talking about moral root causes?
7: I think, like much in our society, many in the press have lost the thread. They have a kind of reflexive relativism. And even people who don't really think so will write, oh, of course, truth is relative. And if so, this would certainly apply to moral truth. There is no right and wrong, and therefore you psychoanalyze things or you go to identity politics or something else rather than saying that, the fundamental cause of terrorism is people who have chosen to fill their minds with hateful ideas, okay. who have let the wrong voice sound in their head over and over again, and who have worn the wrong kinds of path, thought paths until they become natural to them. And in the Perilander series, in That Hideous Strength, C.S. Lewis talks about the way that they try to condition the main character uh, to have his mind work in perverse ways. and. They're going after his mind. They're going after his thought patterns because it is what we think that determines how we act. Okay. In the end, do we decide to love our neighbor despite their flaws and the hope that God will do the same thing about us? Or do we decide that people are so terrible that we really ought to obliterate them? And If we make that decision, then we end up setting up death camps. We end up becoming suicide bombers, we end up becoming murderers. We do all these things because we let the bad thoughts in instead of chasing them out, and then we cultivated them. All right.
3: John, I gotta leave it there, but that's exactly the point about the media responsibility. Thank you, thoughts matter because they become actions. And uh, I'm sad that this is where it's gone in Sri Lanka for one very violent group of evil thinking people. Love our neighbor as ourselves, John Robson, thank you for your important point of view on this.
7: Thank you for having me on the program.
3: A leaked memo by Sri Lankan intelligence officials shows there were warnings that suicide bombings in churches and hotels were going to happen. Anne Speckard is the director of the International Center for the Study of Violent Extremism. Anne, um, I'm shocked that there were warnings. How serious were those warnings?
0: Well, we don't know exactly, but we do know that uh, intelligence officers were looking at these groups. I was in Colombo in February for a UNODC, that's Office of Drugs and um, Crime Conference, and one of the Sri Lankan intel officials took me to the side and said, we're worried about these groups. What do you think? And I don't know if you're aware, but Sri Lanka had uh, a very long uh, struggle with Tamil Tigers. Yes. But um, so that was new to me, and... I little bit dismissed it, but I did tell her you should keep a close watch because these virulent ideologies can turn into violence pretty quickly. She said we are watching, but the preachers that are inciting hate will go underground, we'll just lose them. Okay, so and, that- and, and let, let's
3: just stop there because if there were warnings, and now we have ISIS claiming um, uh, claiming, uh for these bombings, but we also have the fact that, that first it was apparently a homegrown group. Do we know who's responsible yet? And why the competing claim that this was our terror act from ISIS from the homegrown group?
0: Well, it's um, not either or. The homegrown group, the bodies are starting to be identified. And uh, so there, there is a group, Tawi uh, Jamaat, uh, and Taweed Jamaat had ties to ISIS. There's um, 32 Sri Lankans that actually went to Syria. We don't know how many of them came back. And the, the fact that ISIS would have been directing or inspiring and for sure inspired the ideology because their leader um, had the same ideology that uh, non non-Muslims, well, even Muslims, but anyone that didn't adhere to his philosophy of we created an Islamic state, we use martyrdom and uh, a type of Islam that most Muslims wouldn't call their Islam, that those people should be eliminated. Okay. Christians
3: so and Is this in Sri Lanka, this horrific tragedy, is it in retaliation for uh, the horror that happened in New Zealand where 49 were killed in a mosque?
0: No one knows that yet. And, uh, The fact that they targeted Christians at worship uh, seems to indicate that, but no one knows that yet.
3: Okay. You have studied a lot of terrorists. You've interviewed 600 people engaged in terrorism. Um, Is there any common thread to this hatred?
0: In this case, right away, I saw the fingerprints of al-Qaeda ISIS ideology on the group, on the small group. And um, the hate comes from somewhere. But also the groups, the big groups, know how to play with um, issues that are going on in smaller communities. And as we know that there were, t- were tensions between Buddhists and this group because the group was facing uh, statues and some of the Buddhists had uh, retaliated. But it was Christians who were attacked. It was
3: tourists who were attacked. Is there anything people can look out for in order to prevent a situation like this happening in their own country or place of worship?
0: Well, I wouldn't be afraid to go to your place of worship around the world. But um, as far as security officials go, yes, they they need to track these people. And when they're putting things out on social media as the leader of this group was that are hateful and inciting uh, hateful acts and saying that other people should be eliminated, you've got to watch them and not let them disappear because we see what happened when they reappeared. All right.
3: Anne Speckhart, Director of the International Centre for the Study of Violent Extremism. Thank you for joining us. The Sri Lankan attacks evoke not only fear, but a great sense that this has got to stop. And uh, joining me now to help that discussion is a panel of religious leaders. And unfortunately, all of you have had experiences now with religious violence. And uh, we have Rabbi Jordan Cohen. We have Pastor Vincent Sahamathan and Imam Abdullah Hatia. And Imam, I want to start with you. What does it feel like? when it is an Islamic extremist group that takes credit for the killing of hundreds of innocent people in church?
1: I mean Lorna, uh, you know, first before even going forward, you know, my heart goes out to everyone that has lost their life. They were um, in a place that's supposed to be safe. They were doing their worship. They were supposed to be in a safe place and their lives were taken. And we know what that feels like. Every single one of us here knows what that feels like. The, the shooting in Pittsburgh, at the synagogue in Pittsburgh. Uh, the, the mosque here at Quebec, in Quebec City, New Zealand just recently. You know, black churches in America. Uh, it's been happening all over, the ta- all over the place. And the fact that, you know, someone, you know, does this in the name of Islam, right? And they, so it's very important. I think it's very important for us to understand that even the term Islamic, extremist or islamic terrorist um i think we have to be very careful with that because when we do that what happens is um we legitimize them this is exactly okay, what they you want. don't
3: want the label islam put on them but yes. they look like you i exactly. hate this look yes. at this image exactly. that's going everywhere of the group i agree and you and they call themselves mm-hmm. islamic and how do we know that that, like, like, how do we know that hatred is not being preached everywhere by people who look and dress like this?
1: And this is the challenge. This is a challenge for, for every single one of us. Muslims around the world, right? When we see someone that dresses like, like the picture, dresses someone like someone like me, right? And, and, they, and, and, and they carry out these kinds of acts, right? What happens is that as Muslims, we think to ourselves, that, you know what, this is, not, this is not us. This is not what we do. And
3: okay, beside you, Pastor Vincent, you knew a 13-year-old boy killed in that Sri Lankan bombing at Mount Zion Church. How do you feel when you stand beside a Muslim cleric in this horrific loss?
5: Well, myself, that I'm not really um, looking into that, uh, who did it? But here is that uh, my feeling is, how are we going to be uh, move forward? Uh, this boy, yes, I'm very closely, uh, uh, relatively uh, close to that boy. Even just last month when I was in Sri Lanka, he was sitting in front of me watching while I'm eating my lunch. So it is really uh, hurt uh, to think about it. Uh, and then plus I saw that when, when life that was burning. and. Uh, and my workers, they saw their pictures and everything. So when I look at that one, it's really a pain. But now it's the most important thing is to be bring the healings and bring the unity, uh, oneness. Does this
3: bring oneness? Does
5: this bring healing? Of you course.
3: standing beside
5: of yes, a neighbor. Course. I mean, yeah. It could be, anyone could be make a mistake or damage or somebody can be used with the name of their religions. But the important thing is that we are such a, a great leaders standing in this time, we had to be bring the oneness to show one another the love and forgiveness.
3: Okay, um, I, I need to bring in Rabbi Cohen here because your uh, latest round of, of grief, the tree of life, that killing was carried out not by a Muslim, by a white extremist, by someone who hated Jews. What is the answer for this kind of religious hatred that we are
2: grappling with? I don't know if there's an answer, and I hate to say that, but, you know, as Jews, we've been targeted for religious persecution and violence for, for thousands of years. And and sadly, it's not surprising anymore. You, you sort of get used to it. I mean, it's always tragic in the moment. There's always loss of life. But I think we've learned two things from our historic experiences, uh, one is that the act of an individual or the act of a small group is not necessarily representative of everybody. I mean, I know that what some individual Jews do is not what Judaism teaches. I know the same thing what some individual Muslims do is not necessarily what Islam teaches. And what some individual Christians do is not necessarily what Christianity teaches. But at the same time, you know, when we try and and make common cause with decent people of faith under any circumstances, at the same time, and this is the sad part, you know, we've learned how to protect ourselves. We've learned how to make our communities secure.
3: And I wish the media, which is so fascinated with stories, would turn more attention to what is being preached in our places of worship. Do you think that would help, Imam?
1: absolutely, absolutely. And uh, you know, I think when we look at anything like this, so a perfect example would be, uh, you know, when the Quebec City shootings. When we say, what can we do? I believe that the way that we fight this is that we use this as a foundation to build something positive. Amen. All right. So we build something positive. So, so these, these terrorism has no religion, really it has no religion. And we have to, so if someone's doing it, they're going, there's no religion in the world that I know of that promotes killing of innocent people all right okay. Right? So, we
3: yes. we're going to uh we're gonna have tea after this too bad you can't all join us but we're going to have tea and uh we're going to close the show today uh remembering that it is so important that we keep these conversations a uh, mom you're our local a uh, here i know you've done work with um putting bringing us all together there's so much hatred in the world but here's the good news there is so much more love And that's what Context is part of, growing that voice, sharing with all of you more love in the world. Let's put shoulder to the wheel and get it done. Thank you all for joining me, and thank you for joining us. There's much more to learn about getting to the bottom of how to make the world a safer place when you read more at Context. So join us there online, and uh, leave your thoughts on our Facebook and our Twitter. Bye-bye, then.